Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. So, so good to be uh, here at Estes Chapel once again. By the way, some of you are graduating in the next uh, handful of days. Congratulations to you. I know that you've been on a journey, but uh, here's some sobering reality for you. Once you've been in Wilmore, you can never actually leave. It's like, there's a gravitational pull that will always incline you to Asbury Seminary one way or another. And so, uh, like it or not, you're part of the family uh, forever. So congratulations to you. And uh, my wife, as Dr. Tennant mentioned, is w- with us today. And Beth is the most uh, wonderful person that I've ever met. I've met a lot of people. And I just have the good fortune that I get to live with her. She is more like Jesus than anybody I've ever met. Oh, well, except for Julie Tennant, maybe. But... Uh, <laughs> but you two are, you know, just neck and neck right there. Seriously. Tim and I both way outkicked our coverage. I mean, so this is what keeps us straight. It occurred to us, as Dr. Tennant mentioned, I've been in my first uh, appointment for 37 years. It, it, occurred, it occurred to me, I'm a slow learner, it occurred to me a couple of years ago that I may know something about uh, long obedience in one direction or at least in one place. And so I began to think a little bit about that. I thought maybe it might be a helpful topic for us this morning. This is a sermon you may leave here today out of worship. And you've done this before when you're leaving a worship service and you say, you know, I don't really think I got anything out of that. But it's a bit of a naive comment because we really don't know what we need. Only God knows what's around the very next corner in our lives. And so any opportunity we have to gather resource, God will make use of it. So my encouragement to you today is to take these simple little points I'm going to make briefly and maybe just file them away, put them in your pocket, because you may not need them today, but sooner or later, you will. All of us, virtually all of us, start well in life and ministry. And we, we, we get a good start. And many of us run well for a long, long time. But very, very few of us actually finish well. Let me be a prophet today. Sorry. I prophesy, I predict, that many people in this room right now will not finish well. You're starting well. You're enthused. You couldn't be more passionate. You couldn't be more convinced. You couldn't be more ready. And you will start, and you will sprint out of the gates, and you will run. I know you will, as I did. And you will run as hard and as fast as you can for a long time, maybe. But unless you are attentive to the things that are most important, you won't finish well. And I don't mean by that that you won't actually get to the finish line, you know, maybe still in ministry or vocational service in some way. Lots of people manage that. I mean, other people, as you know, we all have stories of people who've just fallen out and fallen off, and and they've succumbed to the entanglements and the sins that so easily beset us, as the writer of Hebrews reminds us this morning. But I'm talking about folks who actually, you know, end up at the finish line with their clerical stole still in place but have long since given up, given up hope, given up passion, given up purpose. 
So let me just give you a few ideas that have come to me over the years as I have faced into these challenges. The first is this, the need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now that's what the writer says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Now you may read that and just curse over it because because it's obvious, isn't it? It's axiomatic, it's common sense. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Here's the problem. And let me just tell you from my experience. Union Chapel, this little church that I started, and by the way, if you think that I'm someone special or some big shot today, I hope you'll get perspective out of this. I'm really just a cornfield preacher. I'm a corn cob, if you will, from Indiana. That's who I am. And we began to see an authentic move of God early in our ministry in that cornfield church. It was an amazing thing. People pray for revival. Go, God, send revival. I've I've lived in revival. I've seen it. I've been there, done that. I have young members on my team, my staff now, and they say, Pastor, we need to pray more for revival. And I look at them and say, be careful what you pray for. Here's what I've learned, that no one enters the kingdom of God unless someone else suffers for it. Jesus started that theme. And it continues to this day. And so what we began to experience was an amazing phenomenon of God's work, transformational lives. After a couple of years, we'd outgrown our little cornfield church and we moved into a local high school and we met there for four and a half years and then we we bought a, a vacated car dealership in Muncie, Indiana. Muncie, Indiana is a town of about 80,000 people. It's a classic middle town, United States. It's in the proverbial rust belt. We've lost 20,000 middle-class manufacturing jobs in the last 30 years in our town. The population is contracting. We've closed two of the three city high schools. Three more elementary schools will close this, this year. Uh, The median income in Muncie, Indiana is $29,000. We have lots of unemployment, lots of opioid addiction. We have lots of challenges. And it's not all bad because we have Ball State University in our community, uh, a state university with 20,000 people. We have a regional hospital there. So it percolates around the edges, and and we're, we're hanging in there. In the church world in our city, Muncie, Indiana has never had a local church that has worshiped a 1,000 people per week on a sustained basis, not in its history. Union Chapel hit about a 1,000 in worship 30 years ago, and we've averaged between 1,200 and 2,000 per week for over 30 years. So in a lot of ways, we're a historic church in the life of our community. And the early signs of that was this revival I'm describing, and lives were being touched and changed, and we moved from one location to the high school and then into a car dealership, The showroom of a car dealership is now our sanctuary. We call it the showroom of heaven. Our educational wing was big service bays and overhead doors and hydraulic lifts in the the floor. We're going to take one of the hydraulic lifts and put it under the pulpit. (laughs) We thought that'd be tacky, so we didn't do that. I read an article many years ago about uh, an acquaintance that is common to both Dr. Tennant and I, Dr. Terry Takel. And Terry uh, planted a church in College Station, Texas many years ago, grew it to over 1,000 in worship, and there was a feature article in this publication. I saw this, and I thought, well, Terry is going, or Terry's been where I'm going. 
And one of my patterns in ministry is to find people who are out in front of me and learn from them the best I can. And so I picked up the phone, I called Terry, and I said, may I come and visit you? And he said, sure, we'd never met. And so I got to College Station, and I walked into his office, and I looked like this proverbial uh, foreign tourist, you know, wild-eyed, and had a camera around my neck, and I had a notepad full of these questions. How do you do church? And I was in his office maybe 90 seconds, and Terry invited me to come out to his car and get in his car, and and so we started driving, and I thought he was going to take me somewhere. I was so excited to be there and to learn from him, and Terry began to tell me his story. He said, you know, when our church was first founded, God began to move, and I mean, miracles were happening, and lives were being transformed, and the church was growing, and it was a phenomenon. He said, it's everything you ever dreamed of. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's, they, that's my story. He's telling my story. And then he said, and the first associate pastor I hired, he, uh, he lost his health. Ended up in the hospital. His marriage was in crisis. And he said, and I went home one night, and my wife, Kay, walked up to me and said, Terry, I don't like the way the direction our family's going She said, I wonder if you're ever going to be at one of the major events of our children ever again. And I don't like where our marriage is headed. I'm fearful for my family. I remember the moment I can visualize it, I could describe it to you in perfect detail. And I remember the moment I took that camera, silly camera off my neck, and I folded up my notebook with all my questions, and I I put my hands together like this, and I looked at Terry Takel, and I said, so what did you do? And the reason I was so sober in that moment is because Terry was telling my story. And he said, I decided I would pray one hour every day, that I would take a tithe of every month, three days away from all the responsibilities and get alone with God, that I would have a weekly on-the-calendar date with my wife, and that I would never again miss an important event in the life of my children no matter what, and I had a formula. And I went back to Muncie, and I changed my ways. And I'm standing here today because I changed my ways. My wife, Beth, knows me better than anyone in the world, and you can ask her. I changed my ways. And I put my priorities in order. You must fix your eyes on Jesus. You can be in the middle of the Jesus stuff. You can be in the middle of a seminary where you're learning the God stuff and lose your intimacy with God. You can be in the middle of revival and lose your intimacy with God. You can be the primary leader of a move of God and miss and lose your intimacy with God. I know it's true because I've seen me do it. You must fix your eyes and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Here's the second thing that I would just recommend. If you're going to run with endurance, you have to maintain your passion. And the best way I know to do that is to dream big dreams. Dream big dreams. We serve a big, big, bigger than comprehension God. So why not dream big dreams? No matter whatever the field of your endeavor If you're a missionary, if you're a counselor, if you're a teacher, if you're a pastor, dream big dreams for the context that God has called you to. Believe God for great things. 
Expect big things. That's a catchy phrase. Expect big things. Let me tell you a few stories. I know you're tired. You've had a long semester. A handful of years ago, I asked my youth pastor how we were doing with youth ministry. I knew we weren't doing very well. And she said, well, you know, just average. I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to to take as long as it takes and to spend as much money as necessary. And I want you to scour the United States of America. And I want to know who is doing the best job of reaching teenagers in our, in our culture. And she, she was out for three months. Three months later, she walked in my office. She said, found them. I said, where are they? She said, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Church called Church of the Move, on the Move, Willie George. Youth ministry is called 180. I said, that's it? She said, they've got 2,500 Teenagers showing up on their campus on Wednesday nights. They're winning them to Jesus. I, I went out to Tulsa, got the idea, came back to Muncie, asked our leadership team to invest $300,000 in preparing a part of our campus for youth ministry. They said, we, haven't, we don't know if it'll work. I said, neither do I. <laughs> but what we're doing isn't working. And so it's about... Dreaming big dreams. See, your dreams and visions are the biggest thing that you have. It's the most powerful thing you have. No small dreaming when you follow Jesus. Only big dreams. And we started 180, and the first 10 years that we ran 180 at Muncie Union Chapel, we had 110,000 different kids attend our youth group. We baptized 1,250 teenagers in the first 10 years. But you can't have a story like that if you don't dream big. If you don't invest big, if you don't take risks, if you don't lay it out there. Heck, the 300,000 was nothing compared to the facility we had to build once we realized we were going to reach so many kids. Then it was millions that we had to invest, and we did. Did I mention that Muncie has a median income of $29,000? So you have to dream big. When I was at seminary, I learned from J.T. Siemens about unreached people groups and began to use that vernacular, and the Apostle Paul said, I've always had an ambition to preach the gospel where it's never been heard. And so we began to pray about a place in the world where there was an unreached people that we could adopt or target from our local church. And through a very intentional process, we found the Kazakhs of formerly Soviet Central Asia, the rural Kazakhs, of Central Asia, along the ancient Silk Road. We, we believe there's spiritual significance to the ancient Silk Road. And we found the Kazakhs there, traditionally Muslim. To be Kazakh is to be Muslim. And so we literally took three families from our church in Muncie, Indiana, and plopped them down in the middle of nowhere in a little village of 15,000 people called Bayerjan Mumshala in Central Asia, Kazakhstan. We formed a nonprofit company called Interlink Resources. We do humanitarian aid, and that was our visa status. And we learned the heart language of the Kazakhs. And we lived in this village, and we made friends. And within two years, we saw our first two converts. And this young couple had a couple of young sons. And as far as we know, they are the first believers in that part of the world in the history of the church. When we went to Kazakhstan, we think there was maybe a hundred believers in the whole country. And these first two in a village called Bayerjan Mumshala. Now, a woman in the middle of the night, hundreds of miles away from our village, 
gets on a train one night because her husband has come home drunk again and has beaten her. And she, she realizes if she stays in that house the next time he comes home, he will likely beat her to death. And so she gathers up her two little small children. She has no money. She doesn't know anyone. She doesn't have anywhere to go. She just runs for her life. She goes to the train station, and she begs her way on the train. And she gets on the train, and her two small children are there sleeping on her lap. As hours pass by, she's riding the train to nowhere, into Central Asia. She reported later to us that she was awakened out of her sleep, and she heard a voice in her, in her mind, she said. And the voice said, get off at the next stop. She rationalized, well, I don't know anyone, I don't have anywhere to go, I don't have any money. Get off at the next stop. And so she followed the voice. She took her little children and walked into a blizzard in the middle of a winter night and walked for several blocks. She had dumped out in Bayerjan Mumshala. And she walked for several blocks until her children began to cry. They were freezing. And the voice in her head once again says, knock on this door. She knocked on that door, and a, finally a little light comes on over the porch of that little house, modest house. And a couple opens the door. It's the only Christians in the history of that village. And they look at each other and they hear her story and they smile at each other and look at this woman and says, we are followers of Jesus. You are welcome here. We will take care of you. Come on, that's, that's just stupid. How does, how, do, how does that happen? How is that even possible? But you can't have a story like that unless you dream big dreams. You can't have one unless you dream big and do outrageous things. Over the years, we've had 400 of our people travel to Kazakhstan to do various things. And we have, we've seen the church established there. And today, when we went, there were 100 believers in the whole nation. Today, there are tens of thousands of people in Kazakhstan who follow Jesus. Glory to God. But you have to have big dreams. Let me just share one more and I'll get off of this. Last year, we started an initiative in our church to plant churches. So we, we got this 10 and 10 idea. And so we're going to plant 10 new churches in the next 10 years. Now, we might plant 15. We might plant 50. I don't know. But 10 and 10 is a little memory peg. So we started raising money for that. And we launched our first church last fall in Marietta, Ohio, Pathway Community Church. I was just there two weeks ago. And they are already running over 200 people. They have recorded 65 first-time decisions for Jesus in these first handful of months and baptized these people. It is a remarkable thing. We have another guy formerly on our staff in the pipeline. We're going to send him to Cape Coral, Florida this fall, uh, Gulfside Community Church. He'll be preaching in our, our services this weekend. We're going to be talking about church planting weekend and talk about what God is doing in church planting. And we have a pipeline to do that. And we're going to plant churches. We've planted churches all over the United States. In the past several years, we've planted churches in Kazakhstan, Central Asia. And we're going to plant some more. Because this is the mission and vision that God has given us. But you can't do things like that unless you dream big. And we're just a little cornfield church in Muncie, Indiana. But if you dream big, it'll keep your passion alive. It'll keep your purpose alive. It'll keep you moving all the way to the finish line. Last thing I want to say is the need to endure hardship. If someone has told you that being in 
vocational Christian ministry is easy, then they lied to you or they're naive because there is nothing about it that's easy. The Bible actually says that the only way you enter the kingdom of God is through hardship. The kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. Listen, he wasn't talking in metaphor. There's a great luxury while you're in the seminary to contemplate the nature of evil and whether there's an actual personality of evil. Is the devil real? Let me tell you, you'll serve a local church about three weeks when it occurs to you the devil's real. (laughs) Just clear that up for you. Yeah. There's going to be disappointment. There's going to be pain. There's going to be confusion. There's going to be obfuscation. There's going to... There's, there's going to be betrayal and denial and heartbreak of every kind. Pastoral ministry, one definition of it that I heard is it's, a de- it's death by a thousand cuts. I'm the biggest loser in the history of our city, for example. I've lost more people from my church than any pastor in the history of our city. Tens of thousands people have left my church. <laughs> Loser. <laughs> but you have to endure. This is what, this is what uh, Paul told Timothy, the protege, endure hardship. 2 Timothy 4. Do the work. Endure hardship and do the work. Endure the hardship. Now, here's what I know about enduring the hardship. You have to, you have to do a, couple, a few things and, and I have to quit. One is you have to practice the spiritual disciplines. You have to practice. The Bible has to be used devotionally. It has to be more than sermon prep and teaching prep and and mission prep. It has to be devotionally experienced. The Word of God ministering to your soul. You have to pray. Terry Takel is an apostle of prayer. And he taught me how to pray and encouraged me to pray. And you have to... This sermon comes full circle. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Stay connected. You must practice. Listen, you can have all of the classic devotionals in your library that have ever been written, but if you don't pull it off the shelf and actually read them and use them, then you'll miss it. So you have to practice the spiritual disciplines. The the second thing is you have to honor primary relationships. Honor primary relationships. You want to stay married to your spouse. You have to honor that relationship. You want to invest in your children. Children children aren't just something to throw into the minivan, you know, with 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 your pets. These are your children and a primary responsibility. You have to honor primary responsibilities. We had a season, both of our boys played high school basketball. And we have a Saturday night worship service, and so there was conflict from time to time. And so what I would do, because I, I vowed never to miss an important event in the life of our kids, no matter what. And so when they had games that conflicted with service, if it was a home game, then what we did was just flip the order of the service. I'd get up and say, look, I'm preaching first, then we can, you can sing and take the offering later. But the sermon is first because the game starts in 45 minutes. And as it turns out, my son is more important to me than you. And everyone gets it. 
Because, because not, only, not only was I talking about honoring primary relationships, I was modeling it for people. And it didn't hinder my esteem, it raised my esteem with people because that guy takes care of his family. That's what you want. Here's the last thing I say and then, I, then I'll quit. You've got to have fun. You have to have fun. Now that may sound counterintuitive after all I've said, but if you're not having a good time, listen, if you're not having fun, something's wrong. If you've lost the joy of it, something is wrong. Our text today says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Now, if that's not a juxtaposition, for the, how does that work? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. And the way that worked for Jesus and the way it will work for us is Jesus had to look past the next five minutes. He had to look past the next five hours. And we have to see past the momentary light afflictions that we're in we're experiencing. And that will enable us to endure because we, we believe that God is a faithful God and that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He is the author and the finisher of our faith, our text says. He is the one who begins it. And he will see you to the end. These are things that we must be intentional about. We must be intentional because everybody starts well. Most of us run well. Very few of us finish well. And I don't know about you, but that's one of my life goals. I want to hit the tape standing up, not feet first, but standing up, leaning forward, still meaningfully engaged in what God has called me to do and to maintain it in a passionate way with joy. Well, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let's push aside all the weights encumbrances, the sins which so easily beset us. And let's run with endurance the race that is set before us. Amen.